morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, October 10th, 2021. It is. It is. Let me check. We're in this together. As a church family, we have been learning how to carry the ark correctly, and we are all benefiting from it, correct? Our ability to function as a God-ordained team, lifting the articles of the tabernacle together, makes us a priesthood filled with heavenly power. Just looking at the heavenly design of the Ark of the Testimony reveals God's intent for his presence to be carried by more than one person. In fact, it was always meant to be carried on the shoulders of a unified team. So let's turn to Exodus 25, verse 12, to see a clear example of this. Say permanent mark as you're turning there. Permanent mark. Exodus 25, verse 12. 12, you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it, two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. See, church, and here in Exodus 25, you're getting the heavenly design that Moses received, and it provided the exact pattern for the ark, the very presence of God, the very throne of God to be carried, and it was always designed, even in its origin, to be designed to be carried on the shoulders of men. Amen. Think about it for just a minute, about what it must have been to actually have the ability to create the ark, the very place where God's presence was going to be. And then on that ark, you were to attach to create and attach four rings to this ark. Think about what that design is communicating to the people. The rings were not temporary or temporal, but rather they were designed by God to be permanently fixed to the foundation, to the legs of the very presence and the ark of God. See, God built in this team concept right into the foundation of his presence. Whether you're thinking or looking at the four living creatures in Ezekiel 1, or you're thinking about the Levites who are carrying the Ark of the Testimony upon their shoulders, you've actually taken a glimpse into the ancient eternal reality that a team lift is the permanent design of our God. Permanent. Wow, what, a, what a, a, an important truth for us to grasp today. Not only were the rings permanently attached to the feet, but also the poles of acacia wood that were overlaid in pure gold were to permanently, say permanently, permanently. The poles were to permanently remain in the rings, not to be taken from it. See, God's design was trying to communicate something. He was showing an eternal example of teamwork, carrying the weighty things of God, the weighty things of his name on the shoulders of many men unified in a singular team. Oh, pastor just got my attention here for a second. When he said, Teamwork, carrying the weighty things of his name on the shoulders of many men. We have all carried weighty things on our shoulder as a church and as a team, especially during the hundreds, nay, I say thousands of times we have moved each other from one home to another as a church. That's true. No, that's true. Right? Don't you notice it when you set that weighty item down. I'm talking about that 400 pound, 30 year old couch or the 1400 pound armoire that someone just had to keep. 
Yeah, yeah the, 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 the traveling uh, brotherhood of the piano that just goes from house to house. After you set it down, it's, it's left an impression on you. A physical impression. A mark on where it sunk down and it pressed into your flesh. And for the next few hours, if you're like me, maybe for the next few days, you're still able to see that mark that's present. That's true. Every time you take off your shirt and put it on a new one, you see that nice red stripe across the shoulder. But eventually it goes away, right? Okay, yeah, it does. It's only temporary. So here's the truth. The truth is you weren't carrying the weight long enough for it to become permanent. That's the truth. But we, we want to show you something. The Hebrew word for rings. Everybody say rings. Rings. Hebrew word for rings here in Exodus 25. It helps to describe the very concept of carrying a weight that leaves a permanent mark. So we're going to read Exodus 25, 14 again. And you shall put the poles into the rings. Say rings again. Rings. On the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. Well, we want to describe this a little bit further. We have a slide for you. The word for rings is Strong's number 2885, and it's tabaat. Tabaat. The Hebrew word tabaat describes the function of a seal, like a signet ring sinking, pressing with its weight into the wax. It is designed, and its function is to leave a permanent mark that carries the weight of the authority by the one it represents. This concept relates also to a ring of any kind, particularly to the rings that were permanently attached to the foundational base of the ark. The rings and the poles, as a team, were designed to carry the weight of his presence on the shoulders of many men and would leave a permanent mark on the team of priests carrying it and the world as well. In fact, the title of today's sermon is Permanent Mark. Everybody say permanent mark. Permanent, permanent mark. mark. You know, when pastor is saying that the permanent design was intended to leave a permanent mark, let's just say it again. Permanent mark. Permanent, permanent mark. mark. That reminds me of the dedication of the temple on Solomon's day. Why don't you turn to 1 Kings 8 and say permanent mark as you're turning there. Permanent mark. Verse 8. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from, the outs from outside the holy place. And they are still there today. Why? Because they're permanent. To show how God's design does not change, even when circumstances do. Yeah. Do I need to say that one again? Please. To show how God's design yeah. does not change, even though the circumstances do. We can see that at the dedication of the temple, at the very moment when the ark was coming to rest in a singular spot, not needing to be moved, not mobile, that the instruments that made it, made it mobile actually remained in place. Are, are you guys getting that picture? Here it is yeah. in the temple. And you would think, I would be the kind of guy that would be like, now that it is resting here, we don't need to move it. We're not following the cloud or the, the pillar of cloud or the, of the fire. So we can go ahead and just take the poles out and stack them right beside it. I mean, it could be in close proximity. As a matter of fact, the poles would kind of stick out from between the veil, in between the holy place and the most holy place. 
How inconvenient yeah. of, of the Lord's design here. Keep bumping into it every time I go to the altar of incense. I'm sitting here bringing the bread to the table of showbread, and I can see the pole sticking out from underneath the, the fabric. Right. That, that's not very tidy. That's not very fastidious there. I would be the guy recommending to take the poles out since it's there, and we'll just put it on the side so it's close enough. I think this would be a logical conclusion that people would draw when placing the ark, that you remove the thing that made it mobile because now it's not needed. But that is not God's permanent design. Oh, come on. His permanent design was for the poles to remain in the rings to make a permanent mark on the priest. To act as a reminder that the weight of his presence was to raise, rest on their shoulders permanently. Yet I love how the Lord always leaves a reminder for you no matter yes. where you go. Amen. If you're in his presence doing his will, he will not let you forget what he called you to carry. Look at verse 10. When the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. Hallelujah. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Listen, yeah. church, when men of God carry out their priestly duties in team unity, his weighty presence is invoked. The Lord responds, and it leaves a permanent, impressionable mark. Yeah. This response from the heaven was the very kavod of God. Where are you at, Justin Treister? His very kavod pressing down on them that they couldn't even stand under his weighty, the weighty pressing. When it says that they could not perform, that word actually means they could not stand in his presence. It was marking them indelibly, impressionably, and printing the ineffable presence of God upon them. Come on now. That message was being taught to them as they carried the ark on the poles on their shoulders. And even when it was setting in the right place, God did not want to let them forget. So he began to press his presence still upon them so that they would be marked by that presence. I mean, think about that presence of God pressing down upon them. Church, what does that mean for us today? See, God is working and he's moving us as a church towards unity. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Towards closing the ranks to a tighter brotherhood. Can somebody say amen? amen. And as he's doing this, he's, it's more than just seasonal. It's more than just a temporary fad that we're going to go through and forget it by the time New Year rolls around. Why? Because this is a permanent design of God that we get closer together to be able to carry the presence of God upon our shoulders. See, it's supposed to mark us. It's supposed to leave a mark upon us, a permanent mark in every way, in our lives and in the lives of our generations. Man, think about men in the word of God who had that indelible mark of God's presence upon them. Men who could feel the weightiness of God's presence and they never tried to escape from the weight. They stayed right there under it. One of the first men that I think about is a man called Abraham. Everybody say Abraham. 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 I want you to turn to Genesis 15, and as you're turning, I want to set the stage for you so that we can begin to read in Genesis 15. See, Abraham has just gone down to rescue, in chapter 14, his nephew Lot. He's gone out with 318 men wow. who were trained in his own household. Trained. 318. That's a lot of people to be trained in one singular household. Abraham has just met with Melchizedek. He's tithed and shared communion with Melchizedek. He's partnered with the eternal priesthood of God. 
Right after that, he refutes the riches of the world so that no man can say that they made Abraham rich, but that it was God himself uh, honoring the faithfulness of Abraham. That's an incredible thing. And then we get into chapter 15, and we see the word of the Lord appeared to Abraham in an actual vision. God is affirming his unity and fulfilling and getting ready to fulfill promises yet even in the future. The Lord has just spoken to him and said that you and your descendants, you need to look up at the stars, Abraham, because it's gonna be like the stars in quantity and quality. That's what your descendants are gonna be like. He reminded him that he was the Lord that had delivered him out of where he was and brought him into the land that God intended for Abraham and his descendants to take possession of. That's a pretty special place, right? Very special. I mean, that is just recapping the last few moments in Abraham's life. And you're getting here uh, something that is incredible for us, us to understand. He could not have been in a better position to feel the weight of God's presence in this moment. But there was also something else that was going on in Abraham's day. And it's going on in our day. Let's pick it up in That's verse true. 9 so we can see what this is. Yeah. Genesis 15, 9 says this. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And that's a neat study just to look into that on your own time. Abraham brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. So remember where you are on the timeline in the Bible here. This is before the tabernacle, before the ark has been created, before the temple itself, before there's even an earthly priesthood in the people of God. God begins to instruct Abraham as to how to have a holy moment with him. Come on. God begins to interact with Abraham in a way, and he's teaching him something here. He's engaging with him, and God begins by initiating and cutting a covenant. You can see that through the cutting of the animals here, but God is initiating a covenant. But look what happens. Look what happens immediately in the next verse. Take a look. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. You getting the picture here? Yeah. You are in a holy moment with God. The God of all creation is moving and he is coming close to you and teaching you how to make right sacrifices. How can it be that in such a holy moment, such vile, carnal, fleshly, carrion kind of creatures can be involved in such, such a holy and ordained moment? Mm. See, Abram is unified with God, isn't he? Yes. Yes. He's unified with his household, isn't he? Yes. He's walking in righteous obedience to God's decree, right? Yeah. Yes. Man, that sounds like shalom, doesn't it? Yes. And we still see opposition even in the midst of a man who is walking in righteousness and shalom. Wow. This is because where you have the weightiness of God's presence on the shoulders of men, you also have opposition. You have even celestial opposition trying to provoke a disruption in that unity. That's true. That's I'm, profound. I mean, can anybody in this house relate to this statement he just made? You're pressing into greater depths of unity within this body, within your household. And as soon as it starts, there are birds of prey trying to steal the sacrifice that's being made. I mean, are we the only ones that are kind of being provoked by what's happening in the heavenly realms? No. That provoking is exactly what these birds of prey are showing. Church, if it happened to the father of the faithful, you can rest assured. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, rest assured. Rest assured. You can rest assured that it's going to happen for you and me as well. 
Church, we've begun the process to run wholeheartedly after unity. Yeah. Yes? After, I mean, we're going after team unity. We're learning how to press in together. We're starting to relinquish our singular focus. Yeah. Has anybody noticed that as you're reading through the word, a lot of things that, that you read, you're taking for you personally and you only? Is that starting to change as you're reading the word and seeing how many times it's saying we and us and how many multiple men of God are even writing Paul's letters? Paul's letters that are written by two, three, or groups of men that you're not even understanding their names. Yeah. See, this is what is going on because we are striving as we're going and uh, striving for God's permanent and original design. You have to expect birds of prey to be there. And what did Abram do? He had to learn how to drive them away in that holy moment. Not lose the holiness of the moment, but drive those birds of prey away. You're going to have to drive away the fleshly and even spiritual, archonic uprising that is trying to provoke you because what are those things trying to do? They are trying to turn you away from receiving the permanent marks of carrying his weight. Wow. See, if he can get you early on in this process to slide back into old habits, to slide back into old ways of thinking, this whole team thing is a little bit difficult to do. I don't quite know how to do it. Let me slide or turn away from what God has. Let me get out from the weight of that because it's really heavier than I thought. It might be more difficult than I thought, but that's what these provocations are trying to elicit from you. Yeah. Uh, I want to restate that key phrase that pastor said, is that where you have, uh, I'm sorry, where you have the weightiness of God's presence on the shoulders of unified men, you will have celestial opposition trying to provoke a disruption in that unity. Well, your pastors have been made keenly aware in our very own lives, as well as your own lives that we've interacted with, that because of our increase in unity, we're also experiencing an increase of provoking. Yes. Of provocation. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't he's, touch he's, me. he's not actually touching him. It's just getting really close. Don't touch me. Trying to push that button to launch, right? Well, what you've seen physically here is also happening in the spiritual realm between members of households. Let me just put myself out there, share from my own life. Yes. Just the other day, like two days ago, when my wife and I were not discussing, we were arguing. Uh, in the middle of that argument, we realized that the birds of prey were trying to steal our shalom. We were being pulled into provocation to give in to our own sinful natures. And the Lord had to shake us. He had to remind us of something. And there's a phrase that the Lord brought back to mind. And it was, I'm better than this. Cassidy is better than this. We have fought for unity in our marriage for years. We have fought for unity in our home, in our team. And we've been on a winning streak in this regard. Amen. Then rose an attitude of, I'm not about to let all that ground that's been gained go right out the door. I'm not going to let that shalom begin to sing to the tune of a carnal canary. That bird of prey. 
I heard the Lord tell us, you are better than this. Come on, Lord. And we started driving that bird of prey right up out of our house. Get it up out of here. Come on, sometimes you need the heart and mind of God to remind you of what he's made you into. Come on. The years of investment that he's poured into you and your home and just stand up on your feet and say, you're better than this. Let me give you an example. Hypothetical. When you responded to the call and offered your vehicle to be used as a blessing. And immediately you experience mechanical problems and are provoked to give into fear, frustration that begins to press on you. But want to remind you of something. His glory is sitting on your shoulders. His glory is marking you as a priest. Don't give in to that provocation. Don't give in. You have to drive it away. Come on. Because you are better than this, saints. Amen. Come on. How about this one? <laughs> we're going to chase away the birds of prey today. And we're going to do it together. All right, listen. How about when you have a long since dormant illness and it's creeping up and immediately you're perplexed? How can this be? How can I be sick again? Oh, I thought this was behind wow. me. And then you start to ask, wow. well, then how can it be treated? Or even you're provoked. You're provoked to give in to feelings of despair or hopelessness. Maybe it's not an illness. Maybe it's a pregnancy. Maybe it's something that you've desired that your body seems to always uh, let you down. Listen, don't give in to despair or hopelessness. Amen. His glory is sitting on your shoulders, marking you. Don't give in to that provocation. You have to drive away the birds of prey that are trying to steal the promises of yes. God in your life. You are better than this. Amen. Come on, how about when your success in the workplace has gained some momentum? Come on, you might even be getting offered uh, new jobs. You might even be getting Whoa. offered promotions in what is going on. And immediately, somebody say immediately. Immediately. There's increased persecution that's trying to rob the very success that God has granted to you. You're provoked in some kind of way that you want to you wanna maybe think about abandoning the very course that God has clearly set you on. Don't touch me. Hey. I'm not touching you. Hey, church. His glory is sitting on your shoulders. Yes. Come on. He is marking you in this moment. Don't you dare give in to that provocation to turn aside, to move away, to think that God's word isn't still true in you. You have to drive that bird of prey. You have to drive that provocation away. You know why? Because you are better than this. Yes. Come on, somebody turn to your neighbor and say, you are better than this. You are better than this. Are we getting to everyone's hearts this morning? Yeah. Are we speaking to you? I see heads nodding up and down. Hi. I, I, got, I got one more for y'all, though. When you, when you gain some victory in walking in true transparency with the body, right? And immediately, you're pummeled. I'm talking about punched right in the face with demonic thoughts that are provoking you to walk in shame. Feeling as if you destroyed your witness, you've annihilated your call. His glory is sitting on your shoulders. Yeah. It's marking you. 
We're telling this morning, don't give in to that provocation. Don't give in to it. You have to drive it out. Why is that, saints? Because you are better than this. Now, Pastor, when we say you are better than this, yeah. we mean it in the southern sense, right? Oh, like, that's right. Y'all. Y'all. Like, plural for y'all. you all. Or if you're from the north, use guys. Use guys. Use. Rightly said, use. listen, church, we are better than this. Amen. We are better than this to fall prey to the provocation that is opposing God's glorious mark on us and the team unity that we are striving for and building Together, we are better than that. Amen. For example, Cody Stevens, you are better than to give in to the provocations of the enemy. You need to open up a can on those birds of prey. Yeah. And you say, I am better than this. I have the promises of God in my life. Come on, Come on Justin Linton. You got to get those birds of prey out of your life. Don't give in to the provocation. You're better than this Amen. because we are better than this. This team needs you and you need this team. Amen. Come on, Judah. We're in this together. We're in covenant together. We can't give in to the provocation. We can't give in to the surrounding pressures of work. We are better than this. We just need to chase away the birds of prey. His promises are true. Hey, church, because we're family, lest you think that we view ourselves like we're giving a performance here. We're, I'm going to talk to you like family for a second. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah. See, while we are here, let me tell you how a bird of prey comes into the middle of a holy moment right here, right now. Yeah. Instead of you hearing us say, we are better than this as an encouragement, as a calling you up to what you actually are, what some of us in the room hear is, he's saying that I suck the reason he called out my name is that I suck and I'm not doing this well and I'm really not very good at this. No! no. no. Drive that away! Get that buzzard out of here! Get that buzzard out of my There are birds of prey. If a man from the stage is trying to, is saying something to you, why don't you just take it out exactly that we said exactly what we meant? And that it's an encouragement to you. And that you don't go and turn that into some discouraging thought that we don't think enough of you. We're calling you out because we're family and we yeah. are better than this. Yes. It's amazing. No amount of encouragement can overcome if you are giving in to the provocation. No amount of, of righteous encouragement from a stage, from a brother, Ooh. from the word itself can overcome if you are not driving those birds of prey away. If you are not beating back those buzzards, then you can hear even the most godly encouragement as a discouraging tone. And you walk away somehow depressed. Right. We're not gonna do it. We're but we're not going to do that. Why? Because we are better than this. Come on, I would punch a pigeon. <laughs> I'm not going to give in to the provocation. Why? Because I know the promises of God, and I know the body that he's put me in. I know the team. You guys aren't going to let me give in to provocation, nor am I going to let you give in to it. We're going to stand together, and we're going to bear those marks. Church, these provocations are aimed at trying to deter us from enduring under the weight of God's presence. Why? Because those who endure through the birds of prey and demonic oppositions, they get to bear the permanent marks of our Lord. And that's what we want. Listen to how Paul views his marks in Galatians 6, 
verse 17. As you're turning to Galatians 6, 17, everybody say, bunch of pigeons. <laughs> Right in the face. <laughs> you still with us? Galatians six seventeen, and this is special to me. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This is Paul writing to the church in Galatia. Paul was the man that could not be made a victim no matter the circumstances. Come on. Think about everything that he went through. He could not be made a victim. He could not be provoked to victimhood because he knew who he was. His attitude should actually inspire us. Yes. His response to the haters was, don't cause me trouble. That's because Paul is actually bearing up under the weight of God's presence. While the haters pander around in their self-directed, markless, weightless life. All that the haters can do is project their own weaknesses and faithlessness on the ones who are actually doing God's work the right way. So, as we continue, we might come back to that one. The underlying beautiful message that is not explicitly stated in this verse, but can be confirmed from the larger context of the book of Galatians, is that Paul did this in a team. Yes. He didn't stand alone. He did this in a team. And all the brothers with him bore the marks of Christ and let his weighty presence sink into their shoulders. After being unified as a team in those circumstances, think of everything that they went through. All the difficulties, all the persecutions, all the sleepless nights, the cold nights where they went to bed hungry, they woke up hungry, and there seemed to be no respite from their struggle. Think about everything that they endured together. Do you think after enduring that, they really cared for anyone's affirmation outside of the ones whom they shared in that permanent marking with? We can't go outside of the ones that we are sharing in that weightiness of God's presence and seek affirmation from somewhere else. Why? Because when you experience the real thing, everything else is a counterfeit. Yeah. Nothing can satisfy you like the ones who you stand in the trenches with who said, I am with you. We are in this together. We are carrying God's presence and we will finish our goal. I will not let you be provoked. You will not let me be provoked because we together will be marked permanently. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. Man, what a good word. I also love what Pastor Peyton Parsons just portrayed. Very precisely. Practically perfectly. Wow. Pigeon punching Peyton Parsons. <laughs> Pastor pigeon punching Peyton Parsons. <laughs> 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 if we can have the L7. Come on now. I love having a good time up here. I love what Peyton said, that men who bear the marks of Christ are men who cannot be made into victims. It's good. They cannot be dissuaded. They cannot be provoked to step away from God's presence. Man, that's what God is building here at LCM. Amen. He's building an entire team, an entire unified body where we are men who are living in team, working in teams, and helping others build their teams. 
It reminds me of 1 Thessalonians. Everybody turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 4. Everybody say permanent marks as you're, as you're turning there. Permanent marks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You, in the plural, you all know how we lived among you for your sake. This is Paul and Silas and Timothy. If you just go back up and look in verse 1 or 2 or whatever it is, you see that these are the three men that are writing the book to the Thessalonians. So when they're saying, we know, this is the we that's being carried on these men's shoulders, these three, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Look at verse 6. You became imitators of us yeah. and of the Lord. For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering, severe provocation, severe birds of prey coming against you. And you did that with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come on, church. No matter how much the birds of prey of severe suffering tried to provoke the Thessalonians, they chose to imitate those who were rightly carrying God's presence upon their shoulders. Yeah. Those who were indelibly marked. And what was the mark in their life? It was power. It was the Holy Spirit. And it was the marks of deep conviction upon their bodies. To drive away the birds of prey and to do it with the joy given by the Holy Spirit? Amen. Come on now. That is something special. And that's what God is teaching us how to do right here in this room today. Look at verse 7. And so you became a model. Not a part-time model. Full-time. A full-time model. You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Yeah. Therefore, we don't even need to say anything about it. I want to help you to know what kind of model we're talking about. Because the Greek word that is translated in, as model in this verse is actually a Greek word called tupos. Everybody say tupos. 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 It actually means to strike. Wow. It actually means to smite with repeated strokes. Wow. It is a mark, a print, an impression that forms a pattern. It could even be used to mean a person bearing the form or the figure of another. Wow. When we're saying that they were a model, you know what that means? That means that they learned how to carry the exact same weight on their shoulders that Paul and Silas and Timothy showed them. They saw it and they replicated it. They did it exactly as they had seen and they began to function in teams and they stayed under the weight. The team of Thessalonian men and women Learn from Paul and Silas and Timothy how to bear up under the weight as a team and to allow the marks of Christ to be evident. I mean, in a permanent kind of display on them, in them, around them. So much so that their lives rang out. Yeah. That it rang out. That it was able to reverberate and resonate in the areas around them. And it became known everywhere. Wow. Now, come on. When you, when you daydream about things in your own world, 
at least when you were a child, let's put you in the immature state. It was always about you being the hero of everything. To be a hero in the kingdom, you start working in a team so your lives collectively begin to ring out. Yeah. You let the marks of Christ rest upon your shoulders and you are able to be, your faith is known everywhere. Not just the men, but their faith was known everywhere. So you learn how to drive away the birds of prey and let God's weightiness put a permanent mark on you just like it did on them. Their marks were public and their marks were eternal. And that's what we are still celebrating even to this day. We're greatly benefited by the fact their marks were public and their marks were eternal. Let's look at this further in John chapter 20. We're going to pick up in verse 25. As you're turning, say permanent mark. John 20, verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I seal the the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So this is the encounter that we're so familiar with, with Thomas, the disciple. What began as an exciting testimony from multiple brothers when they said, we have seen the Lord. It was met with a demand for tangible evidence of the permanent marks of Jesus. But look, we're going to shed some light on this for you this morning. For centuries, Thomas has received a bad rap because of his moment of doubt and disunity here in this passage. And unlike us, Thomas's momentary expressions of faithlessness, being perplexed at this medical anomaly spoken to his brothers is now recorded and distributed worldwide for nearly 2,000 years. It is relived over and over again, highlighting his unbelief while overlooking the very fact that he has the permanent mark of Jesus left on him. And the lives Thomas then went on to affect. Hasn't this been you, like Thomas? You've been afraid. You've been hurt. You've been mad that things didn't work out the way you thought they should in your discipleship. And the birds of prey are stealing your years of sacrifice, just like it's happening for Thomas in this moment. You know what the solution to this is? You're better than this. We are better than this. Thomas was better than this. Praise God, the story doesn't end here, but it continues on towards something that is hopeful. Let's pick up in verse 26. A week later, his disciples were seen in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And this is where most people stop. But verse 28 caps it all off. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas had a moment of faithless words. And he was a faithful disciple and brother. He did not give up and go off to go do something else. He came back to the house of fellowship with his brothers because he knew that he couldn't bear this weight all by himself. 
It was in his persistence to be unified that he was given the shalom to cure his internal chaos. Jesus spoke directly to Thomas and he said, reach out your hand and put it into my side. In other words, come close and tangibly unify with the permanent marks of my resurrection power. These marks are not the signs of my defeat. They are the signs of my father's glory resting on my shoulders. They are the signs that display his supremacy and power over all things, even death itself. I want you to get something. Just as the pole was placed through the rings into the side of the ark, Thomas's hands were placed into the unity with the risen son of God. The Ark of the Covenant. And it was then that Thomas received the full revelation that no one else had yet to obtain. That Jesus was his Lord and God. The first one to declare this. Like Thomas, it's time to drive away those doubtful birds of prey. Provoking you to only trust your natural senses. You are better than that. We are better than that. Stop doubting and believe in the permanent marks of his resurrection power inside of us. Thomas not only gets this revelation here, but he carries on the work of God with other brothers for the rest of his life. Displaying the marks of Christ in his very own body, even to the extent of becoming a martyr in Chennai, India. Come on. I want to finish like Thomas. Yes. I want to finish the way that he did, with the revelation that he did, not being provoked by all the ways of the world, but knowing that bearing the weight allows you to bear the permanent marks of your king. Amen. Look at Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6, and say permanent mark as you're turning there. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads and on their hands. They came to life and they reigned with Christ a thousand years like Thomas, like these martyrs. May we be marked with the same permanent marks. Amen. Notice that these men rejected the mark of the beast. That's because they desired and received the permanent marks of his weighty presence more than the luxuries and pleasures of the world. Yeah. When pressed and provoked to break unity with the spirit and the brothers, they remembered the weight they were called to carry and chased away those birds of prey, swooping down to steal their destiny. They weren't going to let that happen. You could say... That they, had a, they were sober and level-headed. They had a sober and level-headed view of what the cost was to bear up under the weightiness of God's presence. Yeah. To feel the ring of his approval pressing down on their shoulders as they endured persecution with great patience. Whether it was crucifying sin in their lives or laying down their life for the gospel. Amputation was their occupation. Yeah. Any cost. I see Brent Vincent looking at me. Amputation is our occupation. Amen. We'll settle for nothing less but his weighty presence, leaving a permanent mark. I love that these men never gave in to provocation 
And they set an example for us to follow. They could not be made to back up, to let up, or shut up. And so participated in the power of Christ and the age to come, ruling with him for a thousand years. Man, they, they may have lost their heads, but they still kept their shoulders to bear the weight of his presence. Amen. Their thrones of authority were proof of the marks they bore. Proof that they had become living signet rings of the king. What a special time for us to understand that the power of the heavens is available to those who have been permanently marked. See, we've got to learn to be pressed under the mighty weight, the, mighty, the weightiness of his very presence. We must be empowered because we have been empowered because of the permanent mark of his signet ring. That, that signet ring of his powerful Holy Spirit that presses into us. Let's all turn to Daniel chapter 2. As you're turning to Daniel 2, say permanent mark. We're going to pick it up in verse 17. It says this, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Man, Daniel is living in a team. He is living in community. He, along with at least three other brothers, are all in the same house, and Daniel is coming back to them because he is, uh, they are the team that he is operating in. Look at verse 18. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. The mystery of, of needing to hear from God and understand both a dream and its interpretation. So that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. See, these men who were actually carrying God's presence, even in a land of captivity... Even when their provisions are trying to be assigned to them by others, by worldly system, these men are still carrying God's presence. They were pressed, but they were also being provoked here, literally to death. But they were showing that they bore the marks, the permanent marks of the Spirit upon them. Look at verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals hidden, deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Do you hear that's moving? And it sounds like it's singular, but Daniel knows that it's the we and the us that's causing God's power to rest upon him. As a result of being unified in a team, God revealed a heavenly wisdom and power to Daniel that would preserve the life of Daniel and his brothers and even the secular uh, wise men of his day who were all also being provoked by these same things. Daniel and his brothers were permanently marked. The revelation that they received was the result of the mark that was upon their lives. See, God is a God who reveals. He gives wisdom. He gives power. And he makes known everything that we ask for. Everything that we need, he Amen. makes it known. Because it is, good, his, it is his good pleasure to do so for those who bear the permanent marks upon their life. See now, LCM, that we are walking in a new level of pressing. 
now that we're being provoked to new kind of levels, even in recent days. We must bear the marks of his power. We must bear the marks of carrying that presence because wisdom and power are his and he gives it to those who've been permanently marked. Amen. Aren't you glad that together we can have access to God's wisdom and his power? Yes. It benefits us all. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and say permanent mark as you're turning. Permanent mark. We're going to start in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. It is an honor to be hard-pressed on every side. Feeling the weight of carrying his glory. Because it is going to leave a permanent mark now and for an eternity. It is a treasure to be perplexed. Unsure of what direction his presence is leading us. Because we know that he is faithful to direct us to our destiny. And help us leave a trail of permanent marks for others to follow behind us. We rejoice in the opportunity to be persecuted for the sake of Christ. Because we know that our brothers around the world are enduring the same trials with us. Not one is being abandoned to their own suffering. But together acquiring the glory of the permanent marks of our king. We victoriously give thanks and praise for his all-surpassing power. Let me say it again. We victoriously give thanks and praise for his all-surpassing power. It is the very thing that helps us stand back to our feet after being pummeled with demonic thoughts. It is through that all-surpassing power that we begin to drive out those birds of prey, taking those thoughts captive and destroying them with the same word of God that Jesus did. Displaying the permanent marks of his word on our hearts in that very action. Look, we've gleaned so much in our study time of 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9, and we would like to amplify additional insight that left a deep impression on us. We have a slide for this. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 in the Amplified. However, we possess this precious treasure, the divine light of the gospel, in frail human vessels of earth, that the grandeur and exceeding greatness of the power of, of the power may be shown to be from God and not from ourselves. We are hedged in Oppressed on every side, troubled and oppressed in every way, but not cramped or crushed. We suffer embarrassments and are perplexed and unable to find a way out, but not driven to despair. We are pursued, persecuted, and hard driven, but not deserted, not standing alone. We are struck down to the ground, but never struck out and destroyed. Church, let's pick up in verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. 
Now, I'm going to read it again with a little bit of emphasis in case you missed it. You ready for this? Yes. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Do you see the team lift that is happening here? This is a unified body enduring these hardships. Now, let's read it in the Amplified. Always caring about in the body the liability and exposure to the same putting to death that the Lord Jesus suffered, becoming like him. So that the resurrection life of Jesus may be shown forth by and in our bodies. For we who live are constantly experiencing being handed over to death for Jesus' sake. It's an experience, I can tell you that. That the resurrection life of Jesus may also be evident through our flesh, which is liable to death. Thus, death is actively at work in us, but it is in order that our life... Life may be actively at work in you. Yes. Church, when we correctly carry his weighty presence, the marks that sink into our flesh actually become life for the brothers around you. That's why it's so important that we collectively carry this load, letting his weighty presence sink into you and mark you. Why? Because it means life. It means life for each other. And to that, I say, Lord, mark me. Mark me so that John Dang may receive some life from my pressing. So that Paul Rosales might receive some life. Lord, use me. Let my life be a sacrifice so the chorus can go further. So that they may never go a day in despair. Whenever I see Josiah's bites sinking away and being provoked, Lord, let the pressing of my life bring him back from the darkness. May it seek to be a platform for Cody Stevens to rise up in faith, knowing that my example, how the Lord chose to use me or my team or this body to bear the weight of his presence, say, I can't quit and be provoked because I know what I'm a part of. I am a part of the team. They need me and I need them. This is the rhetoric that the enemy's trying to kill that somehow others get to bear the weight and you get to benefit from it that's not what we're talking about it's the collective body our body carrying around in our body the death why because it means life for the other it's almost like we're preaching about a self-sacrificial attitude that is a type of agape love that gives life so that brothers may have life it's just like jesus He was our forerunner, and we are following in his way of life, and we are going to do it together as one body. Come on, that idea of an individual responsibility to the corporate. You heard it right here in 2 Corinthians 4. You're hearing uh, them talk about our, plural, body, singular. That That God may be at work in us, that in our plural, singular body. See, that's what's going on right here. Church, the increased pressing that we are all feeling. Can we all agree that we're all feeling it? Yes. The increased pressing that we are all feeling is the result of carrying the weight of God's presence correctly. 
of actually getting up under the weight, shouldering up under this, and you're realizing other things must go so that you can rightly, we're beginning to rightly carry it. That's great news, isn't it? It's one thing to be punished for something that you've done poorly. It's another thing to be acting in righteousness and feel the increase pressing upon you. This is something that should actually bring joy to us and cause us to want to make sure that we are bearing up under the load. See, during this time of increased pressure, the birds of prey are trying to provoke each of us. They're trying to provoke you to fleshly responses, to fleshly carnal reactions, to cause you to slip back into something else, to slip into despair, to slip into hopelessness, to slip back into old ways of thinking. But we are going to stay unified as a body because we know the design. We are longing for those permanent marks. See, and when the Lord is, what the Lord is after is a people marked with the same marks that he had, that he bore, and a people who are becoming powerful in their faith as they collectively and they faithfully carry God's presence on their shoulders in the teams that God has designed for them. Church, are you ready to end our time today and really walk in power even though you're being provoked right now? We're just in the same chapter. Look down at verse 16, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Amen. Because we are better than this. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. We're getting provoked at every turn. There are birds of prey all around. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day by day. For our light, somebody say light. Light. And momentary. Somebody say momentary. Momentary. Our light and momentary provocations are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Mm. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, through unity, we do not lose heart at the pressing. We know that God is putting a permanent mark upon us. Through unity, we are being renewed every single day, even though we're being provoked. Because it is our light and momentary troubles that are achieving for us. Can you put that scripture on the screen for me? Verse 17. It's our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Come on now, how many times have you been like me and you read that in the individual state? My light and momentary troubles are achieving for me an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Praise God, God is showing us actually how to read his word rightly. Thousands of times I've read this. And until recently, thousands of times I've looked at it as a me-only kind of verse. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs our troubles. Through unity, church, we are able to fix our eyes on him who is eternal and we can receive his power upon us because we received his mark. As you come to the altar today, Here's what I want you to be focused on as you come to the altar. You are setting aside the weightiness of your personal struggles for the weightiness of God's glorious permanent marks that far outweigh them all. 
It is here that you'll find his all-surpassing power to overcome the ever-present provocations of the enemy. You're going to stand up from this altar today. You're going to rightly carry on your shoulders as a team that we are going to rightly carry on our shoulders the weight of his glory and joyfully endure those light and momentary troubles. Maybe part of the reason that they're light and momentary is because we're doing it together. We're carrying them together. And because you have fixed your eyes on the eternal and permanent marks of our great king. Stand to your feet with us. Oh, holy one, we respond to you. Lord, we say, let your marks be permanent. Lord, help us to carry this load, to carry your weighty presence on our shoulders. Lord, don't leave us out. Lord, show us how we might die for each other's visions. Lord, how as we grow in unity, you are growing us together where every member has its part. Lord, we submit to you those areas where we have been provoked. Lord, show us how we might get into the fold a little closer. Lord, and be strengthened. Lord, refine us with fire and strengthen us with your spirit today. In the name of Jesus, we pray.